0: Welcome to the Empower podcast by Mitchell. Welcome to the Empower podcast. I'm your host, Shelley Callahan. And on today's session, we are sharing our recent webinar, "Pot policies, the latest in medical marijuana legislation affecting the workers' compensation industry. Our guest is VP of Government Affairs, Brian Allen. And there are a lot of fantastic slides. So if you're watching or listening to this on your Spotify or on Apple iTunes, uh, we suggest that you also visit empower.mitchell.com where you can download the PDF of the entire presentation. So without further ado, enjoy the show.
1: Thanks, Shelley. Appreciate it. And thank you, everyone, for being on the uh, webinar. We hopefully will be able to provide you some information that will be uh, both uh, enlightening and entertaining. Um, and I was it's interesting to see that poll question because every time I see that question asked, the number of yes responses seems to grow. So it's definitely coming to a claim near you. Ultimately, I think it's going to be uh, just a normal part of our workers' comp claim uh, process over time. And how much time, I don't know. Um, but I think over time, you're going to see it to become a lot more common than it is right now. And we'll talk a little bit about how that is progressing through the uh, both political and the uh, judicial processes in our country right now. So first of all, we'll talk a little bit about the current state of legalization. This is where things stand right now in this country. You'll notice kind of the lime green country, uh, color, sorry, is where you have both recreational and medical legalized. Now I wanna qualify this. So we have Vermont still listed as medical uh, marijuana only. Uh, Vermont did pass a fairly comprehensive decriminalization bill uh and some advocates kind of tout that as as a legalization process and and i suppose to some degree that's true the one thing they did not do that the other states that are in the lime green have done is they actually did not set up like dispensaries or taxes or anything else like that where they're regulating the actual distribution of recreational marijuana so it it, there's not it's legal to possess it in vermont but there's no way to actually buy it in vermont Uh, they don't have a a process for doing that. So I kind of leave that one as medical only until they get to a point, and I think they will, where they have dispensaries and and a legal structure around the the, uh, provision of of recreational marijuana. But you can see the other states there that have some form of either the CBD uh, oil, uh, or they have medical marijuana, or they have both medical and recreational and you see kind of in the middle there there's a handful of states where they do not have any kind of legalized use of of cannabis or CBD oil so and that's going to change I think uh, throughout this election cycle and we'll talk a little bit about that as we as we go forward Um, there's a lot of renewed interest right now in um, medical marijuana and marijuana in general Um, you know the pandemic um, changed a lot of things in the legislative landscape. A lot of legislators adjourned early. A lot of their attention uh, was sort of turned toward the, the impact of the pandemic and and other issues. But one of the things that that happened is that a lot of the legislatures were looking at what is an essential business and what should stay open during the pandemic, and medical marijuana dispensaries and in most states recreational dispensaries were deemed essential businesses, and so they were allowed to remain open during the pandemic. They weren't uh, weren't subject to shutdown orders in most states, and um, and I think people viewed uh, marijuana as. Uh, a necessary part of the pandemic. And and really, I think people that were using it for medical purposes and wanting to be able to continue care, typical that you would see that, uh, and I think expected uh, because pharmacies stayed open as well. So anybody who was getting medication for a a condition, I think in some cases, uh, they looked at it as a coping strategy for people who are stuck at home uh, and getting anxious about that. They thought maybe the access to marijuana was helpful for that. Um, and what we saw at the beginning of the pandemic, if you look at marijuana sales across the country, there was a huge bump right at the beginning of the pandemic. It's like people were stocking up in case they wouldn't be able to get it, I guess, as as the, as the pandemic rolled on. and But over time, the sales have kind of fallen off. And I don't know if that's because there was such a surge at the very beginning or if it's because um, people just aren't going out. But for whatever reason, there was an actual decrease in, in retail sales from January. Uh, through April. So there was uh, uh, you know, a little bit of a downturn. It's starting to tick back up again um, as I think more people, uh, as some of the shutdown orders are getting lifted and more people are feeling comfortable about moving about the country and I, I, they're starting to see an uptick there. But there is still is a lot of activity out there uh, on marijuana. The other thing that's happening are state budgets. Um, the pandemic, because so many businesses shut down and so many people were out of work, the state Uh, tax collection is down because sales tax is down. Obviously, people aren't out shopping and and stores are closed and establishments are closed. There's no taxes being collected. And the other thing are a lot of people being laid off unemployment high. That means your income tax rate is down as well in states that have income tax. So the states are looking for ways to plug budget holes. Now, if you look across the country at state budgets, most of the states have somewhere between a five- to 15% budget deficit due to the pandemic. And so they're looking for ways to uh, bump that up. And uh, we'll talk a little bit more about that. The other thing that's happening around the country is uh, a a lot of call for um, policing and justice reform. Um, There's been protests all across the country in every state about this issue. And that is turning attention towards marijuana and, you know, are we creating unnecessary policing intervention because of a drug that is legal in a lot of states? And so a lot of states are evaluating that as well. And and I think there's sort of been a truce called, at least in, in the case of marijuana, on the war on drugs. And uh, I think that's fueling some interest in state legislatures across the country as well, as to how to deal with some of those issues and how does marijuana play into that. So that's going to be an ongoing discussion, I think, as we move into 2021. So, if you want to, and and I think it's important to talk about the tax revenue. If you look at the tax revenue in uh, these are four states that are kind of highlighted have had marijuana available for a while, Um, it's a significant amount of money. However, if you look at it in the context of their entire budget, it's typically less than one percent of their entire state budget. So, we talk a lot about we talk about a lot of money, but um, but if your budget is you know. Uh, off five percent or ten percent, and you can plug that hole with with marijuana and recoup you know a, a portion of that that's helpful, and so a lot of states are looking at it in that vein. is Is there a way for us to to plug our budget holes by allowing for access to uh, marijuana in our state? Uh, and so there's a lot going on. So uh, recently, um, there's been uh, some activity, even during the pandemic, you would think that uh, the, the other things might g- garner attention, but this is still moving forward. So New Jersey, uh, New Jersey, the Assembly passed a decriminalization uh, measure, and that was really in, in kind of a, a precursor to a ballot initiative that's going to be going forward that we'll talk about a little bit later. Uh, Virginia also passed uh, some bills to decriminalize possession of marijuana, and they have announced in Virginia that they're going to pursue in 2021 a full legalization uh, proposal, so they'll be looking to do that. In Mississippi, um, the legislature passed a resolution to put medical marijuana on the ballot, and this was in response to a a citizen-pushed initiative that's a lot broader and more sweeping. And so the legislature is hoping that the public will support their version and not the public version, so it'll be interesting to see what happens there. Um, And Louisiana had three bills passed dealing with medical marijuana. One expanded the qualifying conditions. And so rather than having a list of conditions that medical marijuana would qualify for, they now allow a physician to determine uh, the usefulness of medical marijuana for any debilitating condition. So that will expand the offering of medical marijuana to a lot more people in Louisiana than, than under the current law. There was another bill that passed that shielded doctors from any kind of prosecution at the state level for uh, recommending uh, medical marijuana, and there was also a bill that passed that would allow state-chartered financial institutions to bank the marijuana industry, which has been a real problem for the industry. They haven't had a way to use federally chartered banks because of its illegal status at the federal level. And so there hasn't been a way to really bank the industry. So it's been a cash business, which is a problem for regulators. It's a problem for the proprietors. And uh, and it, it opened themselves up to some real financial risk. Uh, so that is an area that I think is going to be uh, important for the folks in Louisiana. In Hawaii, they passed a bill that will allow edibles for me- medical marijuana. Previously, they couldn't be used. Now they'll be able to be used. And that... Uh, Kind of aligns with what's happening in other states. Um, Kentucky passed, uh, uh, it, or at least the Kentucky House passed HB 136. I believe this is the first time that any um, marijuana bill has passed a House or the Senate in. Kentucky. um, It it did not make it through the process, but it did actually make it halfway through the process, which is something that hadn't happened uh, in the past. In North Carolina, they still have a bill under consideration. In Alabama, they passed uh, a bill through the Senate Uh, and I believe that's the first time that has happened there as well. And in Kansas, there was a bill proposed, but it did not make it through the process before the legislature adjourned. So I think you'll see some activity in those states again in the coming year, as they deal with what many advocates consider unfinished business. Um, In Connecticut, the governor had a bill uh, that he was pushing to legalized recreational marijuana, and that bill stalled really primarily due to the pandemic. I don't think there was any real political pushback. I think when the pandemic hit, they adjourned early and they had other things on their mind. Um, I know in Pennsylvania, um, there is a group of Democratic, well, in fact, all of the Democratic senators in Pennsylvania sent a letter to the Republican leadership asking them to put forward a bill for recreational marijuana as a means of uh, and they they cited a couple of reasons one was the budget obviously uh, getting tax revenue the other was social justice reform and criminal justice reform and uh and i think really just giving people access to a a recreational drug that they're already using and and just trying to minimize the criminalization of it. So, I don't know what's going to happen in Pennsylvania. I suspect they'll consider something, but uh, I haven't seen a concrete proposal there. In New Mexico, uh, they had a proposal that was running this year. It ran into trouble because of the pandemic as well, and they just ran out of of, of really uh, bandwidth to deal with it. And so, the leadership there has announced that they will be putting forth a serious proposal for recreational marijuana in New Mexico in 2021, so that will be coming. Um, In recent regulatory efforts, um, Oklahoma uh, just recently released a a revised workers' comp fee schedule, and in that fee schedule, they did note that... um, there was a provision in there that stated that medical marijuana is not uh, reimbursable under the fee schedule. So there's no requirement to reimburse medical marijuana in Oklahoma. However, there's no prohibition on it. It just is not reimbursable under the fee schedule. So if a payer wanted to reimburse it, they could, but they're not required to. In Florida, they've had a in place since the pandemic started a uh, temporary telehealth rule and there was one part of that related to cannabis prescribing, and they are considering making that permanent so that uh, if a uh, individual was in need of a cannabis uh recommendation, they could without having to go to the doctor, they could do a telehealth visit and and have that prescribed via telehealth and so not sure where that's going to go. I know Florida's got a lot of uh, different rules they're considering right now around telehealth, and this will be a part of that. And so it remains to be seen what will happen there. But they're certainly considering it, and it's out there, and it's something to to be looking at. Um,
0: There's been a lot of activity. uh, If I could interject for just a second, Um, I think what you highlight here so well is that there's a lot of things moving in a lot of states. And if we didn't cover one of uh, the states, it doesn't necessarily mean that other things aren't happening, which we'll talk about in a minute. Um, but if you're in a state that um, that doesn't have this, you can also look on our map and see what's going on. Um, some things may already be settled in your state, or there could be no movement. It's not that um, we're not covering it. We're just uh, talking about who's moving and who's grooving. Right?
1: Yeah, there's there's constantly stuff going on around this, and, and uh, it would be impossible to cover. I think there were over 1,500 different legislative or regulatory actions related to marijuana in the country this year that have been proposed, and so we can't cover all 1,500 on the phone. Obviously, we're trying to hit the highlights and just kind of give you a general sense for where things are going in the political arena. Um, and certainly, and you know we 're at the local government level there 's a lot of things going on there and you 're seeing cities like Kansas City moving to decriminalize uh, marijuana, and a lot of cities around the country are doing that right now and that 's in uh, really kind of a reaction to the whole policing reform movement that you 're seeing happening around the country right now and and you 'll see I think a lot more cities uh, move in this direction. Uh, there are a number of ballot initiatives um, a lot of times. Well, and really, typically in the in the marijuana space, but for Vermont and Illinois, um, every state that's legalized uh, marijuana so far has done it through ballot initiative. It's been a citizens' push. I think the citizens became, you know. Uh, anxious about getting it done, the legislatures have been a little bit more cautious in their approach, and so the citizens have really taken the the legislating into their own hands, and they're they're moving ballot initiatives. And there are a number of ballot initiatives going this year. So Idaho, state that currently doesn't have any legalized version of marijuana, has a medical marijuana act, and it it is it, the what's happened in all these states is that the pandemic has kind of hurt the ballot signature. Uh, collection process so it takes so many signatures in each state to get on the ballot and um because of the social distancing requirements collecting ballot signatures uh, for these initiatives uh, has not in the traditional way has really not been possible so in in idaho there was actually a group called reclaim idaho that was an education initiative and they went to court and challenged the restrictions on collecting electronic signatures. And the court there, in that court, in that case, ruled that that group could collect electronic signatures. So the um, medical marijuana proponents uh, sent a letter earlier this month to the Secretary of State asking them, asking for permission to collect uh, signatures electronically. And, and I don't know what the outcome, I haven't heard of that. They've received a response back yet. But I know that it's in the works, and I suspect um, under the um, the way that court ruling read for the education initiative, I think they're going to be bound to allow the activists and uh, for the marijuana medical marijuana provision to have to be able to move forward so that that will we may see some movement in uh, in Idaho on that in Montana there was a group that um, is pushing for recreational marijuana, and I believe they have now collected enough signatures and they've been submitted to the Secretary of State. They've not certified that ballot initiative yet, but I suspect they will. In Nebraska, the Nebraskans for Medical Marijuana submitted 182,000 signatures out of 100. There was only 121,000 needed, so they went over and above the actual requirement and uh, they're waiting for certification on that in north dakota there were a couple of groups running uh, a proposal and the first group stalled out and they they because of the pandemic they they decided to retreat and to wait till 2022 there was another group that was still going forward but just to, within the last couple of days they abandoned their efforts so i don't think you to see anything on the ballot now in, in north dakota in south dakota there's a group called south dakotans for better uh, marijuana laws and it's both a recreational and medical uh initiative there and that one is, they're still working on getting that approved i think and that that's uh i think that looks like likely to be approved for a vote by the voters now which of those two proposals or both passes, will. that'll be up to the voters in November. In New Jersey, um, the legislature did approve a ballot initiative last year for recreational use, and that will be on the ballot in November, so you'll expect to see some activity there, and I suspect that one will pass. In Oklahoma, um, there was a, a challenge to the uh, signature gathering requirements there due to the pandemic, and the Supreme Court cleared uh, the group to gather signatures on question 807, and that would legalize recreational marijuana in Oklahoma, so they are out gathering signatures as we speak. In Mississippi, we mentioned this a little bit earlier, there's two competing proposals. Uh, Initiative 65 was pushed by the Mississippians for compassionate care and that would allow for um, medical marijuana in Mississippi. And uh, the legislature was concerned about that proposal, so they passed their bill to put initiative 65A on, on the ballot as well. So there's going to be two competing proposals in Mississippi for, for people to vote on. So it'll be interesting to see which uh, path they take. The, certainly the one passed by the legislature is a much more conservative approach than the one promoted by the group, the, the public interest group. So it'll, uh, it really is going to depend on the voters' appetite for how far they want to push that. Envelope in Missouri, um, they had a the group called Missourians for a New Approach suspended their signature gathering in April due to the pandemic, and so they're looking to 2022. In Arkansas, there was another federal court ruling on an initiative allowing for electronic signatures, and the group pushing uh, marijuana there have are using that court ruling to go out and collect electronic signatures for their issue in uh arizona the they qualified for the ballot there for recreational marijuana so that is moving forward and just an aside not necessarily related to marijuana but just kind of a thing that's happening around the country that you ought to be aware of in oregon there is uh um, ip34 is a, a ballot initiative that would approve psilocybin for uh use in psychotherapy um and that uh that got on the ballot, and psilocybin is kind of this emerging sort of what I call a grassroots drug, where it's being pushed not by legislatures or by medical science, but by the public. And that one is um, that one has been approved for the ballot. And there's another initiative in Oregon, IP44, that would decriminalize all drug possession, and that would also require that marijuana tax is used for treatment of drug addiction.
0: And, and so that for- is moving for forward. To-
1: for those of the uninitiated, psilocybin is quote unquote magic mushrooms. Yeah, it's a psychedelic, exactly. And it's it has been used, there have been some clinical studies has been used uh, effectively for treating um, addiction issues. Um, and I've heard some cases where they've been using it to, to help people through PS, uh, PTSD. Um, but these are these are small trials All studies, not broad science on it yet, but they're certainly working towards that. And in Washington, D.C., there's a similar, there's a a group called Decriminalize Nature D.C., and they have um, on the ballot, they've been approved for the ballot there to decriminalize the use and possession of any... Psychedelics in the D.C. area, which, given what happens in Washington and Congress, I'm just not sure that's a really good idea. But nonetheless, that's an aside. Um, the, the 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 interesting thing is there's a group, and I, I'll throw this out just as a as a little tidbit. There's so there's a group in Canada, Canadian therapists who use uh, who want to use uh, psychedelics in uh, and and particularly psilocybin in therapy, and they're asking the the uh, the 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 C- canadian version of their their congress to approve therapists to use it themselves personally so they have some personal experience with it before they try treating patients with it and um it's kind of like akin to you know would you go to a marriage therapist who's never been married um and so i mean i'm not sure how good that analogy is but the, the there is so there's a move not just here in this country but across you know at least you know it's not it's really out there in the world where they want to use these psychedelic uh, medications for treating uh, various mental health issues. And so I think you're going to see more of that as time goes on. Um, It's definitely a movement happening, uh, at least here in the United States around that. And of course, Congress, not to be outdone, is is still, um, to the extent that Congress moves anything, they are moving some bills uh, related to... um, marijuana uh, at the federal level uh one of the interesting thing um that i think is, is is probably a positive step forward for those who are interested in whether or not you know the what are the clinical uses of medical marijuana and and how can it be used effectively so an hr2 which is an invest the invest in america act which is primarily an infrastructure bill uh that is being proposed to help rebuild some of uh the, the ailing Uh, infrastructure around the country. But inserted into that bill, and this is a very popular bipartisan bill, and it it will pass, but inserted into that bill just within the last few weeks was a provision that would open up the uh, commercially produced marijuana for study. Right now, any marijuana that's used for study has to come from the federal government. This would allow uh, different groups doing studies on uh, clinical uses and efficacy of medical marijuana to be able to access more uh, of the drug and uh, obtain it from commercial vendors. So groups like there's definite growers in California, all the places where it's legal. So it wouldn't just limit the supply to what the federal government has available. And I think that's actually a probably a positive step forward on the research side, just because uh, they're gonna be able to access different uh, kinds of marijuana that's out there in the marketplace and be able to get a better understanding of what the different types of marijuana can and can't do. So I think you'll see that pass in that bill. I think that's a bill that has to pass. Um, and it's part of, I think, the, the overall congressional proposal to help stimulate the economy due to the pandemic. And so investing in infrastructure is a very common way for the federal government to kind of push uh, some economic activity in the various states. So there are a number of other bills. Um, Senator Booker has a bill that would move marijuana to Schedule Two. There are bills that... um, would there's a, another bill, HR 975, that would protect businesses and individuals that comply with state marijuana laws from federal prosecution. Um, there are a number of uh, bills, and Tulsi Gabbard is a co-sponsor on a bill on a on a House bill that uh, would really eliminate all federal marijuana crimes except for transporting into a state where marijuana is illegal and there's other a couple of other bills that would regulate marijuana like alcohol and the safe banking act is still sort of limping through congress it passed the house the safe banking act would allow all banks including federally chartered banks to to bank the marijuana industry. And that certainly, I think if that happens, it becomes a game changer because it makes it easier for electronic payments and all kinds of other things that you see in the work comp world happen with medication. So I suspect that you'll see, if that happens, you'll see some movement to for more push for reimbursement uh, in the workers' comp space and so that's that's all happening and there are a number of other bills uh, senator ron wyden has an interesting bill uh, they would it would legalize marijuana at the federal level and impose a 25 percent federal excise tax so the interesting thing about the taxing of medical marijuana and marijuana in general is that um, it, uh, it the taxes are becoming high enough that it's actually making it more economically viable for people to purchase marijuana on the black market, rather than buying it through legal means, and there's uh, there's not really a way to know where a person got the marijuana, so it's it's you're seeing a. A kind of a regrowth of the black market in some of the states where the taxes are high, and uh, I've talked with some law enforcement officials in some states who have said that their marijuana, their black market marijuana industry is just as busy as it's ever been uh, prior to even legalization. So it's it's a real interesting thing. So you add a twenty five percent federal excise tax on a you know already in some cases a thirty percent or more state tax. Uh, By the time you add up all the state and local taxes and it gets to be a pretty heavy burden and uh, it'll uh, it'll be like, you know, like tobacco where you you the actual cost of the product is 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 uh, significantly less than the taxes that are imposed on it. So there's some real uh, interesting things happening there that we'll keep an eye on as that moves forward. Um, the other thing that's happening is the courts. The courts are weighing in, um, and I've, there have been a lot of court cases, and we've talked uh, uh, about a lot of those in the past. so I'm just going to highlight a few that have happened just recently. Um, in Massachusetts, there was a case that was Daniel Wright versus Central Mutual Insurance, and uh, uh, Wright was taking medical marijuana for an injury to his knee, and he submitted it for reimbursement, and it uh, was denied because uh, it violated the Federal Controlled Substances Act, and so this now been appealed to the uh, Supreme Judicial Court. They heard arguments in early May, and they're waiting for a decision from the court on that case. And the question is, you know, can a carrier reimburse medical marijuana? Uh, as long as it's a an illegal federal substance. And so the courts have been split on this. It'll be interesting to see what Massachusetts does, but we're keeping an eye on that case. And in New Jersey, there was a case where another individual, Hager, was taking medical marijuana for chronic pain related to a uh, an injury. And in uh, New Jersey, in their uh, medical marijuana act, there is a provision that says that health insurers do not are not required to reimburse for medical marijuana, and so the employer challenged payment of that based on the Federal Controlled Substances Act. And <clears throat> again, you know, arguing that it's illegal at the federal level, they shouldn't be required to pay for it. And they also argue that health insurance aren't required to to reimburse under their law, and so the court. Um, First of all, the ALJ said, no, you have to reimburse. Neither of those two arguments were valid. So they went to uh, uh, the court there, and they found that the court ruled that the uh, Federal Controlled Substance Act doesn't apply to reimbursing uh, marijuana. It, it, it Reimbursing for it does not fall within the definitions of of what is prohibited in a controlled substance act. So they ruled that that was okay. They also ruled that workers' comp is not a health insurer. It's a different breed of cat. And if the legislature wanted to include workers' comp, they could have and didn't. So they felt like the legislative intent was to allow workers' comp to be able to reimburse it. So that happened. And that was at state court level. There's another federal court uh, case in, or was a federal court case. It was um, DJC versus Amazon who uh, DJC was terminated for using medical marijuana, and uh, he or she claimed that that violated the state's anti-discrimination law, and the case was initially filed in federal court. Well, federal court's not a very friendly venue on these cases because it's illegal at the federal level, and so the uh, it was moved back to state court, and the state court is still uh, waiting to to hear arguments on that. So it'll be interesting to see uh, what happens on that case in, in Amazon as to whether or not a person can be terminated under their uh, drug free workplace statute uh, for the use of medical marijuana when it's been prescribed for a medical condition, and does that you know violate the anti discrimination law? And we're starting to see a lot of bills around those types of issues in legislative uh, arenas around the country in fact in new york uh, just this i think within the last day or two this new york senate passed a bill that would prohibit landlords from discriminating against tenants f- yeah, for their use of medical marijuana so it's it's happening it's coming um, that that has only passed the senate hasn't passed the assembly yet in new york but, but i think you can see a lot more of those laws as medical marijuana becomes more prevalent in society um, in New Hampshire, there was an appeal, by uh, the appeal of Panagio, and that went to the New Hampshire Supreme Court, and uh, Panagio was using uh, medical marijuana for chronic pain and uh, couldn't use opioids because of some adverse side effects the opioids caused for him personally. Uh, the carrier denied payment um, due to the Federal Controlled Substance Act, it's an illegal substance the New York Comp Appeals Board upheld the denial of payment. It was appealed to the New Hampshire Supreme Court, and the Supreme Court reversed it and sent it back to the board for reconsideration. So uh, I suspect that's going to end up getting uh, paid in New Hampshire. Um, so there's a lot of, again, a lot of activity going on in the courts about uh, these uh, the, the use of medical marijuana in the workers' comp space. Uh, one of the interesting things, um, and this is, over time, this number has really dramatically changed. But if you look at public acceptance of of uh marijuana right now um in this country, and this was a Gallup poll that was released in uh March of this year but that uh seventy percent number is is pretty telling and it gives you an idea of what might happen with some of these balloted initiatives around the country that are moving and so I think that you're you're seeing greater public acceptance of marijuana than we've seen. in in years past and i think it it really uh it gonna put us on notice that we're gonna have to you know we're gonna have to deal with this in the workers comp space and find a way to deal with it appropriately and uh and we're you know really need to start looking at you know these clinical trials and clinical studies to see what really uh, is an efficacious use of medical marijuana, where can it really be used and where can it be helpful? I think it's coming. I think we not necessarily have to embrace it, but we have to be prepared for it and uh, And I think that that's just something that we're gonna have to uh, to to think about as we move forward. There are some studies out there, and again, we've talked a lot about some of the studies that are that, are, that have been published, and I'm gonna talk about some that are just very recent, I mean, just within the last year or so. And so there was a, a study published in February of 2019, and they analyzed state registry data from 20 states in the District of Columbia, trying to, I think, understand why, why are people uh, securing medical marijuana? What are they using it for? And 64.9% of the people that they studied uh, in these registries were reporting pain as the qualifying condition for the use of uh, medical marijuana. And 85% of those had either reported either substantial or conclusive uh, evidence of therapeutic efficacy. So basically 85% of the people said, hey, I'm taking, so 85% of the 64% who were getting it for chronic pain were uh, said that, you know, it works for me. It's, I'm getting relief, and so there's some anecdotal um, evidence there. I guess that that those who are using it say it's helping for their pain. Um, another study, and this is this is interesting because I've heard a lot of talk through the years about um, medical marijuana being a replacement for opioid, and that if you if you have a legal medical marijuana, you see a lot of reduction in opioid use. So this study, published in August of last year. Um, in the Journal of General Internal Medicine, it, it they looked at um, f- over 4 million different individuals, and they uh, they concluded in their study that there was a modestly lower rate of opioid use uh, in states that had legal medical marijuana. But if you look at those numbers, um, for people who have ever used an opioid, it was a, you know, a, a, you know, ninety point ninety five. So it's a it was like a five percent reduction. Uh, chronic pain use maybe seven percent. So the numbers uh, really aren't super impressive. I mean, there is a, a reduction, and uh, but what the study concluded is that there's more research needed. So it's certainly um, uh, cer- certainly an area that that again, I think there's just more research needed for us to better understand the impact of, of medical marijuana and, and how it might impact things that are happening in the workers' comp space. Uh, there was another study um, that was really, it was a kind of a scoping review of other, of other reviews. And so it was kind of a review of reviews that was published in December. And they screened uh, almost 2,000 citations of, of different marijuana studies. And they looked at uh, 72 uh, reviews and pain again emerged as the most common condition for medical marijuana use, and uh, a small number of the reviews showed a real benefit for reducing pain. But this study found that it was generally inconclusive. So again, another study saying that more studies needed. So there's a lot of unanswered questions, I think, on the clinical side of this, and 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 so in the workers' comp space, it's hard for us to know. I think you know, from a clinical standpoint and a scientific standpoint, where how this is really working or what can it work for. So it's, it's not like you can develop treat, treatment guidelines uh, for conditions around this at this point. I think that information will be coming as more studies uh, advance. And they're doing a lot more longitudinal studies are in play right now. And it's going to be a while before we get real data from them. But I think it'll be interesting to see what they show over time. So, what does this mean in the workers' comp space, all this marijuana uh, stuff that 's going on around the country and so um, you know there's there's a real there's a lot of discussion about recreational versus medical, and how do those two things impact uh, the workplace and you know a lot of questions about should marijuana be accommodated on the job and some states have answered that question in fact, in Nevada, a bill passed last year that required employers to accommodate both the legal, medical and recreational use of marijuana in Nevada. So if you were get a random drug test and you test positive for marijuana and unless you're in a high risk job that's kind of outlined in the statute or, you know, or you're demonstrating some signs of impairment, you shouldn't, you know, you can't be fired for that. So they're really looking at treating it like the use of alcohol. And, and I think you're seeing more states look at that type of legislation. Um, I've seen a number of bills. I mean, I a number of maybe like six or seven bills around the country this year that were filed. They didn't, haven't gone anywhere yet, but they're out there that would require employers to accommodate the use of at least medical marijuana. Um, the challenges that employers face, or challenges that law enforcement faces, and I think it's challenges for for all of us. Really understanding what the impairment. Uh, we have a lot of history with alcohol. We understand alcohol impairment. We don't have the same history with medical marijuana or with recreational marijuana. So the detection of marijuana um, in a person's system, uh, that we know how to do. Uh, but what we don't understand necessarily is how that, uh, a, a THC level in someone's bloodstream relates to impairment. Um, a lot of studies I've seen say that you know there's impairment two to three hours after smoking marijuana, but that it diminishes over time. But THC can stay in your system and for some people up to 30 days. So you may test positive for uh, THC in your bloodstream, even though you haven't s- smoked it or touched it for a week. Uh, obviously, according to all the studies I've seen, there's no impairment there. So how do, you, how do we rationalize the de- detection of the drug and the measurement of impairment? And that's all stuff that is being worked out with these uh, studies that are going on and uh, for the most part it's it's challenging for employers dealing in states where marijuana is legal to understand what they can and can't do uh and a lot of states still allow a zero tolerance policy um but uh, in especially as it relates to drug-free workplaces but how long will that hold and will the courts weigh in on that at some point in time and i think that they are going to we're already seeing cases where people are filing anti-discrimination suits because they've been terminated for the use of, of, of medical marijuana and the legal use of medical marijuana in that state. The other thing we're seeing is policymakers weighing in. And I know that this isn't necessarily a work comp specific bill, but in uh, Pennsylvania, there's a Senator there. I think her name's Bartolotta. Uh, she's filed a bill that would um, remove the uh, zero tolerance standard for driving under the influence in that state so right now in pennsylvania if you get in an accident and they draw your blood and it tests positive for um, thc then you're you know in under pennsylvania law you would be considered driving under the influence she wants to change the standard to be more like alcohol where you have to prove impairment And, uh, you know, you have to be able to demonstrate that there was impairment related to the use of the marijuana. So I think you're going to see more of those kinds of laws move forward as as marijuana becomes more prevalent in society. So there's a whole lot of things happening uh, in the policy arena around marijuana that could have an impact in workers' comp. Um, And so the, uh, you know, we don't know. We know that there is impairment when, you know, if you use enough marijuana, you can become impaired by using it. And I think that's, that's a given. What we don't understand is the lasting effects of that impairment and, and what chronic use of, of marijuana does to a person over time and how does it impact their ability to perform on the job. So there's a whole lot of things we don't know yet that, that science is still working through. But it's coming. It's out there. It's in the workplace right now, and we have to deal with what we know today. And so you just need to be aware that there are a lot of policy considerations still out there Uh, that are unresolved in my mind as to how, you know, marijuana will be treated long-term in the workplace. So, um, and I suspect over time, it's going to become a lot like we treat alcohol today. And uh, the the challenge will be, you know, how do we figure out, I mean, it's pretty obvious when someone comes to work intoxicated on alcohol, that you can usually you can generally tell it's going to be a lot it's a lot more difficult i think with marijuana Um, i have a law enforcement background uh, from a long 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 time ago back when dinosaurs roamed the earth but uh there was marijuana use then and it was always challenging when someone had been using marijuana to kind of understand their level of impairment what it was really doing to them so it's it's an issue that's out there and it's something i think that we just need to consider as we try to manage our our workforces but in in every state and in every case if you have a higher risk job like driving trucks or operating a crane or, or doing, you know, like driving a forklift, something where there's a higher risk, um, in those cases, they still allow for a zero in, in, in most states, they're still allowing for a zero tolerance policy. And I think that's even true in Nevada, if you're in one of these higher risk positions. So something to consider, uh, but definitely keeping an eye on that policy as it moves forward. Um, so there are states that do have anti-discrimination pr- protections already in place for the use of medical marijuana, and more states are weighing that in. We talked about Senator Bartolotta's uh, bill, um, and that, I mean, I think we're going to see that in more states as well uh, as as medical marijuana and recreational marijuana become more prevalent. And so that's kind of where we are. Now, where we're headed, um, I think the the ballot uh process this year is going to be very interesting um i think what happens with the elections in november as far as the makeup of congress and and how that changes could could really impact what happens with federal marijuana policy Um, I think if you see some sweeping change at the federal level, you're going to see sweeping change in the marijuana laws. There are a number of bills passed. And if you look at the sponsors on a lot of those federal bills, they are former presidential candidates. So it was definitely on the minds of people who were running for for the the seat in the White House. Um, I think you're going to see, uh, you know, right now that there hasn't been a lot of talk for the two sort of front-running candidates in each party. Uh, from each party, but I I think there are people in the wings that are advising the two candidates where they ought to go on this policy. So I think it's going to have, I think the election will have an impact on what happens. I fully expected Congress to do something this year with marijuana because it's been such an issue. I'm not sure. I mean, there was a lot of bills activity earlier in the year, but when the pandemic hit, everything kind of, the brakes kind of got put on everything at the federal level and so i don't know that we're going to see movement uh, federally this year but i certainly think it's going to be something that we'll see uh and especially if there's a change in how congress is composed uh it could have a real impact on what happens with uh, marijuana policy at the federal level so it's something we need to be prepared for it's it's really an interesting uh you know dynamic that we face every day in the work comp space on how to manage this and how to handle it i know uh in most cases uh you know employers are doing what they can to reasonably accommodate the medical use of marijuana if there's a if there's a desire to do that in in a lot of cases I've talked with employers who are even though they have sort of a zero tolerance drug policy they are overlooking marijuana if someone tests positive for that and uh in some cases employers have said we don't even do pre-employment testing for it because we can't find qualified candidates for positions that that test negative for it so i mean it's it's posing some real challenges in that in that arena so uh, but uh, so where we're headed i think i think you're going to see uh, through the election cycle through the ballot process you're going to see more acceptance in more states for the use of marijuana for medical purposes and for recreational purposes and i think at some point in time and i think it's not in the very distant future you're gonna see federal legislation that will legalize marijuana nationally and leave it up to each state, I think, to kind of determine how they're going to regulate it. But it would certainly take a lot of the uh, argument that's out there now for reimbursement out of the equation. And uh, so I think it's something we just have to be prepared for and and ready for when that time comes
0: and be prepared to move forward. Yeah, well, well, we'll give you a, a little bit of a, a breather here, Brian, so thank you. Um, we have questions coming in. I'll, um, I'll highlight once again that we do have uh, resources on the left-hand side of your screen, um, so great stuff to download. If you have a question about a particular state, we also have an interactive map. So you can hover over the map, go to the state you're interested in, and then it'll show the um, recent court cases, it'll show where the law stands today, um, officially you heard a lot of great uh, insights from Brian about what's on the horizon and what's kind of in the shoot. If you have questions about a particular state or about a particular case, Um, We're also very happy to um, take that offline and happy to connect you with Brian uh, to talk with your team. We also have upcoming CEUs. This is not a CEU. This is a webinar. Um, We do have some coming up in the future, so uh, if you'll let us know, we're happy to connect you with those resources if you are interested for you or your team. And we will make the slides, of course, uh, available, because I know there was a lot of great detailed information that that Brian presented. So um, in the right-hand side of your screen, you should see the Q&A. It looks like we've got a a bunch of questions uh, coming in. So I handled the first couple. Um, Brian, this is a great one. Are there practical tips uh, for insurers to handle medical a marijuana requests in a claim. What do you um, what do you recommend as kind of that that process for insurers? Well, I think you
1: know. I mean, it's going to vary by state because in some states the medical marijuana law has a provision similar to what Oklahoma put in their rule that that, that marijuana is not required to be reimbursed. So if you want to just hang your hat on that and not reimburse it because you're not required to by law, you certainly can do that. If you um, if you want to evaluate the clinical efficacy of it for the condition that's being treated, there's uh, some resource out there that will give you guidance. There's not a ton of what I would call really good qualified uh, medical evidence out there quite yet. I think it's coming. But... I think certainly, in some areas, it's just a matter of having a conversation with a physician to figure out is the treatment working is the is the injured worker benefiting from the use and is is it you know as is the reimbursement in line with what would be you know really typically commercially available in that state from a from a medical perspective and i know like new mexico is is the only state i'm aware of right now that has a fee schedule for medical marijuana in their work comp system so you could you know that's there's a there's a starting point there i guess if you're really interested in what it should look like from a reimbursement standpoint but i really think it's 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 if you see it on a claim it's really a discussion with the the, the the physician and the injured workers to whether or not it's really working for them and if it's if they're getting any value out of it and if it is replacing other therapies. So if they're using it for pain, are you seeing a commensurate reduction with opioids? So there's a lot of clinical things I think, and I'm not a clinician, so I'm not, I'm not maybe best qualified to answer this, but, uh, but I know that those are some of the things that I would look at if it were me evaluating the claim and if I had a, a, an idea that I might want to reimburse but I want to do it appropriately, I would look at the clinical aspects of it and just find out is it really working for the person and is it replacing other therapies that might work or are there other therapies that might actually work better and uh, kind of have that discussion.
0: And, Brian, how are people actually um, reimbursing? Are they reimbursing directly to – the, the patient, so the patient's paying out-of-pocket, or are they reimbursing to a physician? How, how are you hearing from, um, from people across the industry doing this?
1: So in, in the cases that I'm aware of, um, the, the, the injured worker is paying for the marijuana out-of-pocket and then submitting uh, the invoice for reimbursement from the carrier. I think that's how they view that sort of complying with what they view as the federal law and so I think the states have set that up so that there isn't direct reimbursement to the provider of the of the of the drug but it, it's reimbursing the patient who purchased the drug.
0: Right that that's so interesting and I, I you referenced it also I'm seeing a couple questions um about clinical efficacy, um, we've got some good uh, resources for you to kind of look at what uh, cases are out there from a clinical uh, standpoint, and um, I think there was uh, some good references in the slides here about overall looking at the, the whole of studies and doing Um, kind of this blanket approach to say, okay, we looked at all these small-scale studies. Uh, You referenced in your uh, slide, I think, on Congress that being able to open up some of these uh, access to marijuana will help uh, other organizations actually be able to do uh, Double-blind uh, efficacy tests, and I think that will help us uh, have a lot more information about efficacy. What what treatments modalities make the most sense, etc. Anything yeah, so, else you would add to that? Yeah, I would
1: just say that I mean, I think I think I think making more uh, cannabis available for research is a good thing because it's out there. It's going to be out there. It's not going away. Um, and it's not like they're going to turn the clock back on this at all. So we need to understand it. We need to better understand what it does and doesn't do. There is a fairly good, and I didn't mention it in the slide because we've talked about it before, and it's a little bit older. But I think it was in 2018, the National Academies published a um, kind of a a review of a lot of studies that were done, and they measured uh, in their their review of those studies. They they had they draw conclusions on the effectiveness of marijuana for treating a lot of different conditions. And I think that was a very informative and instructive uh, study piece. So if you go to the National Academy's website, I think you can find that. Uh, And we can send the link out. I can get it and send it out. We can send it out with the slides. But it certainly was, I thought, a very good um, sort of overall look at all of the studies that have been done to that point on the efficacy of marijuana for different conditions and it was surprising some of the things that that i thought it would be really good for it turned out according to their review not so much and other things that i would have expected it wouldn't have expected were you know like the, it had some moderate effectiveness so i mean there's more and more information coming forward and i think really right now the best way to know is just to talk to the doctor and the patient that are using it and find out if it's really making sense for them
0: Yeah, yeah, I think that's great. And we will send out that link with the slides so you guys have the latest. Um, If you have specific questions uh, that you'd like to talk to Brian about from what's happening in your state legislatively and legally, um, or if you'd like to talk to our one of our pharmacists and better understand a particular case, uh, we're happy to connect with you. Uh, feel free to email us uh, after the webinar. Uh, until then, uh, we thank you all so much for joining us for this webinar. Brian, thank you for your expertise and incredibly You're detailed welcome. work that you've shared. We really appreciate it. And uh, we hope we'll see you back for our summer series. Uh, you can sign up and get all of the summer series all at once. So until then, this is uh, Shelly Callahan, your host, and uh, thank you so much for joining us. Thanks, everybody. This is Shelly Callahan powering down the Empower podcast by Mitchell. Join the conversation and read articles on our website, Mitchell.com Empower.